You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot... Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hey, everybody. This is Doug Robertson of the Atlanta Journal-Constitution with another edition of the Southern Fried Soccer Podcast. As always, please follow me on Twitter at Doug Robertson, A-J-C. That's D-O-U-G-R-O-B-E-R-S-O-N, A-J-C. Or you can follow me on Facebook at Atlanta United News Now. Today, uh, along with Jason Longshore, I'm going to recap Atlanta United's 4-2 loss to Nashville on September 12th, 2020 at Nissan Stadium. It was arguably uh, the worst performance and result in the club's history, joining a couple others I could think of off the top of my head. Um, the goals uh, were scored by Dom Baji 50-something seconds into the first half as a result of a turnover and a set piece. Jeff Lernowitz equalized in the 19th minute with a little deflected header uh, off a free kick. Uh, Hani Mukhtar scored in the 28th minute when Atlanta United couldn't execute something as simple as a throw-in. And then Dax McCarty in the 36th minute ghosted into the penalty box uh, unmarked uh, for a header that went off of walks past Guzan and into the goal. And then uh, Abu Dunladi ran past Anton Walks to catch up to a, a long pass over the top because, again, no one pressured Dax McCarty. He had a couple of seconds to stand there and pick out a pass. Then George Bellow got one back in the 61st minute, uh, but by then it was too little too late. Uh, Jason had the call last night on 92.9, and I'm sure we'll talk about this and much more on his show, SoccerDownHere.net. Please give him a follow on Twitter and the show on iTunes, Spreaker, and all of its platforms. Jason, what did you make of last night's result? On a night where you can't give up the first goal, um, you did in a minute and you gave up three really bad goals for different reasons. And I'm not a big fan of uh, picking on individuals because um, this is a player who's played a lot of minutes and been maybe Atlanta's best player up until the last couple matches. But Brooks Linden was beat on the near post on the corner kick. Uh, Dax McCarty stepped in front of him, deflected it to Dominic Baji, slots at home. Uh, Brooks Lennon was caught flat-footed on the throw-in. Dax McCarty stepped in front of him, won a header, started the attack. And it was a, a Lennon giveaway on the third goal, a pass that was, was woefully under-hit and then made worse by a poor 1v1 defending that allows Dax McCarty to steal in. Um. He came out at halftime for a reason. I mean, he had, he had a, a shockingly poor first 45. And when you're giving up goals off of 
the other team's corner. You're giving up goals off of your own throw. You're giving up goals off of turnovers. Um, and on Wednesday, you want to add in your own corner that you give up a goal on. I mean, three of the last five goals that you've conceded have been off of dead ball situations. Two of them were yours. And you're not going to win games that way, period. And you fall behind in games, you know, all the things we've talked about for a long time now. You're falling behind in games. That changes the way everything plays out. It makes it harder for you to come back into it. You can't fall behind right now, and you can't fall behind on dead ball situations. And that's what's killing the team at the moment. Yeah, it's just it, – to me, a lot of defending dead balls in, in soccer is, is just effort. Um, effort and, and – you know, focus, following, yeah, focus, focus following sure. the tactical game plan. I agree. I think Dan Gargan said last night he hates zonal marking. I agree with him. I hate yeah. zonal marking. Um, too many people are just kind of caught reacting instead of acting. And it's killing Atlanta United uh, in, in the results right now. Um, as soon as that giveaway happened in the first minute, I remember tweeting, that's the one thing Atlanta United cannot do because it's going to give Nashville a set piece. And sure enough, Corner kick, goal. Um, it, it's a team that right now, Stephen Glass said after the game, twice mentioned in his post-game comments, it's a team that's not following instructions right now. Now, this is not new to Glass for those who may be new to the team. This was something that Frank DeBoer alluded to quite a few times in his tenure also. Um, I think I tweeted this morning, even Pitti Martinez uh, in one of his last interviews before being sold, said the team just has trouble taking the tactics from the training pitch to the game pitch and putting them into place. And a lot of people were blaming Frank for that. Uh, I'm starting to wonder if it's the players that the team has put together, that there's just something about this group that they just they can't communicate on the field. They can't seem to execute whatever the game plan is, no matter how simple or complicated it may be. Yeah, it's a broad statement that, that we're guessing at what specifically is being discussed here, and, and we're combining a few things. So you know, we're not exactly sure what Glass is alluding to. Um, what I've seen under his time is a lot of this poor set-piece work, and a lot of that is – that's instruction. I mean, where, where coaches can have immediate impact on things is set pieces, is defending, where there's a lot of coaching involved. In the attack in the final third, you want that to be far more free. Now, there can be discussion about what you do when you lose the ball. Do you immediately press? Do you drop back? Do you drop into a mid block? There's tactical elements there. You can get into if you want your, your outside backs to overlap or cut inside, little things like that. But the, the attack is generally more open to creativity. It's defending, and more than anything, it's set-piece defending and set-piece organization on your own set-pieces as well, that it has to be better. And those are the elements where you're following a lot of instructions. I mean, the, let's go back to the goal against Miami real quick. It's yeah, a moment where the corner kick that Atlanta had. Yeah, okay. It, it's, a, it's, a, it's a play where... You know, you want more, you want one more defender than the opposition has players up. And Miami did something somewhat unusual. They had two up and then Rodolfo Pizarro kind of floating inside his own half. Atlanta only had three back, first of all. And then Emerson Hindman took a very poor position 
on Rodolfo Pizarro. So when he's beaten with a clearing header that is a little lucky in where it falls from LGP, it's 3v2. That's poor positioning. Brooks Linden getting beat at the near post last night. That's poor positioning. It's also poor, you know, maybe following the instruction. Maybe it's supposed to be tighter there. I mean, Nashville goes to the near post a good bit. Maybe it's just not recognizing the play as it's, as it's developing. Throw-ins. I mean, <laughs> throw-ins shouldn't be something we're talking about, but we are. It's the, the part about not following instructions. Is it on situations like that? Is it something bigger? We don't really know what it is in this case under Stephen Glass. And it's something that they're going to have a week to work on now. And that's something that he has not had uh, at all since he took over um, in terms of since games started. Even that one game in Fort Lauderdale that was postponed, you still set up your week like you were playing there. You got an extra day on the Thursday where you had a full training session. Uh, You also still had the unknown if you were going to play on Saturday. That was something that kind of lingered on. So even that week where you didn't play midweek wasn't a normal week. They need a normal week, and they have to make the most of it because these issues that, that Glass is alluding to here, they can't continue because you can't give up some of the goals that this team has given up for a team that defends pretty well from the run of play. Their numbers back that up. The goals they're giving up do not match a good defensive team can't give up goals in this way a uh, couple of couple of, of points about that um i agree with you that it's kind of a broad statement about following the instructions searching my memory banks from previous uh interviews with stephen glass i think it's more of a big picture thing he's talked about that on offense going forward to sequences and, and instructions that uh, aren't being followed when the team is trying to build an attack um and just so uh, listeners can understand, when we talk about the team is going to have a week, I don't think it, they're actually going to be working every day for the next seven days. I'm betting no. that the players are going to be off Sunday, Monday, and probably Tuesday yeah, they're because happy. of all these games that they played in the past couple of weeks um, just to try to get some fresh legs because fresh legs can make a gigantic difference as well. 100%. I mean, you played five games in 15 days. Five games in 15 days is brutal. And when you're giving up early goals in those games, it's you, you can't come back in everything. You just can't. So, yeah, they're going to have to have some days off. But you've also got some time. You'll at least, even if you do that, even if you have three days off, you'll have a couple of good days back-to-back right. back on right. the training pitch to, to work on some of these elements. And, you know, it's, it's the hardest thing right now because there are things that need to be improved on the training pitch and you haven't had the time to work on them. Now you're going to get a little bit of time. We need to see an improvement on, on Saturday in all facets. Now there was something interesting said by the folks on Fox Sports South uh, last night, the good people, uh, Kevin, Dan, and Jillian. They, uh, they got to speak to Carlos Bocanegra uh, during the week. We haven't spoken to him in a long time uh, and mentioned – that there uh, hope to be several new faces was the phrase they used. They may have been the generic. Uh, it may just be one player, but they said faces, uh, I believe. Um, we know that the team wants to bring in a number 10. If they are bringing in plural players, what else do you think is coming? What position do you think is coming? Ooh, um, it's a good question. Uh, you go a few different directions with it. Um, 
the only rumor that has been out there is Marcelino Moreno out of mm. Lanús in Argentina. Um, a player who I could see fitting, and he can play as a number 10. I see him a little bit more in the attacking eight kind of role, but you could factor him in as a 10, and he would give this team a boost, and he's a two-way player, which would be useful in this midfield. Um, beyond that, that's a – I wouldn't have expected it, to be perfectly honest. I wouldn't have expected faces. Uh, number six has been a position that you know I thought they've needed to upgrade at for a while now. And, you know, Jonathan Gonzalez was a player who was mentioned for quite a while, and it sounded like financials weren't allowing that deal to get done. That was before the Pitti Martinez move. I don't think you can add both of them unless you have something else, you know, in the hopper that's going to happen. I'm not sure. In terms of big impact, you've got one spot right now to make a big impact. And uh, Moreno's the only player who's been mentioned at this point. Yeah, I'd heard that the Gonzalez stuff was uh, way, way overblown. Um, seemed like it. It did seem like it because of, of the way it was being reported. It kind of felt like an agent putting something out there to drum up interest in the player. It's like the, the two reports of the two Paraguayans, and I think it was February, yeah. that were allegedly like on a plane or had already signed a contract, et cetera. Um, <laughs> yeah. And obviously they're not here. Um, I don't know what that was about, including the, that one photo, I think, that was out there. Uh, but that's neither here nor there. Let's talk about this. I, I want to bring this back around because I've been thinking about this this morning. Miles Robinson's comment, uh, you know, we have better players than they do. Miles is not a, a arrogant, uh, braggadocious guy, so his comments were a little uh, or very much out of character because he's a very toast interview. But thinking about it this morning, looking at this roster, this season's results, does Atlanta United have better players than Nashville, top to bottom? Yes, they do. And I think Robinson's comments were taken way out of context. Um, I thought he was defending his players and defending the quality of his side, not, dis not diminishing another team and their players. I thought that became a lot more of a story than it needed to be. Uh, Miles, I don't think he's wrong. And results aren't the issue here when you're talking about quality. I think Atlanta United has more quality. I think Nashville has a system that was built to start a team without a lot of firepower. And Gary Smith's done an amazing job. I think you give Gary Smith a lot of credit for the way that they've built a team. But top to bottom, quality of player, Atlanta's the better roster. They're not getting the results to match it. Hmm. I, I'm not as convinced, but I, I, I'm not really uh, convinced either way. Um, I just, you know, we, I, we've talked about many times, this roster to me, it feels kind of like a mismatch of parts that just don't work well together. I think it's, it's a lot of players that are good squad players and not – really only one and he can't play for the rest of the season who is a difference maker. Um, and, and that's one of Atlanta United's big, big problems right now. Um, Ezekiel Barco. I thought he worked really, really hard last night. Uh, but again, uh, he got the assist on the it's off the free kick, but again, just not a lot of, of end product right now. Um, how do you think he played last night? 
And I bring him up because he's the only DP left to talk about. <laughs> he's by himself a lot. Yeah. Um, that, that's the biggest problem is it's very easy for teams when Barco enters the final third on the dribble, double team. Double team, put two on him. Don't give him any space to operate on. How many times did you see Ezekiel Barco drive forward, get two players in front of him, look for somebody to play off of either a one-two or to swing a ball out wide or something, and there just wasn't a whole lot of options? Um, that's got to change. He can't do it himself. He, he can't be the only one-man attack here. He can't. And yeah. I think it's unfair to expect it. I think sometimes he dribbles himself into a little bit of trouble too, but he is really the only one trying to spark anything right now. One reason Other than Bello, Bello, Bello is, is also trying. I should give Bello credit. He was yeah, no, he was Bello's forward different. last night. Right. Different situation with Bello. Um, Barco uses the dribble to move the defense around, and he always has, and he did it in Dependiente. It's one of his strong suits. The problem right now is he has to try to dribble, and he has to try to take people 1v1 because there's nothing else opening up. There's just – there's not a whole lot of obvious passes to make. Um, late in the match, Kubo Torres was checking back, looking for the ball played to his feet consistently, and you know it looked like a couple times players were just waving him forward, just go get into the 18 so yeah, we can play yeah, a ball I, in. I was about to say that does not help at Lenny United if he's checking back. It, there were multiple times last night, and I noticed it more than I, I have in previous matches, where the runs off the ball were happening at times, but were not the right kinds of runs. And, and that was one where Kubo's checking back for the ball when you need to get forward and you're crowding the space. Barco's dribbling to try to open up space. And when you come into his space, then you're making it even easier to defend. Right. Also, multiple times, the same runs are being made by multiple players. There was a situation, I believe it was Barco on the ball, it might have been Hosetu, where on the right side, you got the same run from Dom that you got from, I can't remember who the other player would have been. Uh, it wouldn't have been Lennon by that point. I think Gallagher had drifted over to the right side, and he was trying to double up, and he made the same run. And it's the same run. So one defender drops, and he's covering two people. And it's stuff like that that is just uh, – it's frustrating for a player like Barco when you're trying to – be the player that the team plays through because that's the role you're in now. And there's nothing to play off of. Can't do it yourself. So Atlanta United is now uh, in 10th in the East. Uh, they are three points uh, ahead of um, Inter-Miami. I believe it's Inter-Miami. I'm going to look that up super fast here. And obviously that is their next game, hosting Inter-Miami at Mercedes-Benz Stadium. Uh, it is, yet again, much like the past three games, must win uh, for Atlanta United. Um, D.C. United is behind them with 10 points. Chicago and Cincinnati are behind uh, at nine points. Uh, so it's a very crowded field right now. Um, will Atlanta United make the playoffs, do you think? I think they will because uh, I do think the talent will come to the fore. I think they're a more talented team than the teams behind them. And I expect these mistakes, especially on set pieces, to be corrected. They have to be. I mean, when you give up five goals in the last two games and three of them are off of these dead ball situations and over the season, you're giving up about half of the goals you've conceded have been off of some form of a dead ball situation. That's correctable. 
that is a mistake that can be corrected. And if this team is going to make the playoffs, it has to be. A bright spot for Atlanta United last night was uh, Fortune's goal for Atlanta United 2. Did you get to see that one? I did. That was a rocket of a shot, huh? Yeah, but bright spot for Fortune. Bright spot for George Bellow, another young player in the first team. I think he, he's been our man of the match the last three matches. I mean, Bellow has been great defending, gets his goal going forward that I felt like he's deserved. You get the young players with Atlanta United, too, getting those kinds of moments like a Johnny Fortune. It's it's important, and, and this is where you know things are right now. You're looking at how you get into the postseason in, in 2020, but you are looking ahead to 2021, and you're looking ahead at which of these young players are going to take that step and become even more important next season. George Bellow's got the left side locked down at this point with the performances that he's had, and I think we've expected this to happen for a while. This has been a period of time where he's gotten consistent minutes at the first-team level. He's delivered, and he stayed healthy. Yeah, yep. And a bright spot for the whole world was Liverpool winning yesterday. Uh, no, nah, that's not a bright spot for the whole world. What about Lee? <laughs> what about Marcelo Bielsa? That was a fun uh, game. It was, it was a uh, – I, actually, I did not get to watch it. I was following it on my phone. Um, and then I came home and, and watched the highlights. Uh, Liverpool can't continue to play like that. That's going to drive me crazy. Um, Lee makes you play like that in a lot of ways. Um, Bielsa's never going to change his mentality, even playing a team like Liverpool. And, and he put Liverpool under a ton of pressure and made it difficult. I'm sure Jurgen Klopp subscribes and listens to this podcast religiously. So I hope Obviously. he's listening and, and uh, will we'll heed my advice on uh, not playing like that anymore because that's good coaching right there. Don't do that. That, that should yeah. be that should be the coaching. Um, <laughs> this is like asking a player, how do you kick the ball so hard? Um, it's going to be an interesting, regardless of what happens the remainder of this season, of these final 12 games, it's going to be an interesting offseason uh, for the five stripes, I think. Um, the, the talent acquisition, I don't think, has been nearly as good as it was the first year. I don't know if that's the marketplace. I don't know if that's the scouting department. I don't know if that's analytics. I, I, I'm sure there are a thousand different reasons that all combine into this. But it goes back to my point before about it feels like a, a team of, of squad players, but not a lot of difference makers. Um, so I'm really curious to see what's going to happen. And, you know, it it's good for – I guess gossip is good for me. It gives me stuff to write about should things happen. Um, but this has just been a really odd, odd season for everyone. I can't imagine what Stephen Glass and the players are going through right now because this hasn't happened for this long of a stretch uh, since 2017 or since, I mean, they started in 2017. It's just an odd, odd thing right now. Yeah, I mean, I feel horrible for Stephen Glass because, you know, he's walking into a situation that's hard for anybody, and it's gotten harder, you know, losing Pitti Martinez in the midst of it, uh, the schedule without really being able to train. You're trying to build a relationship with these players, and you do that on the training pitch, and, you know, having a whole lot of time on the training pitch, um, getting players fit, not having everybody 100% because you can't when you're playing five games in 15 days and you're getting Jurgen Dom and Kubo Torres incorporated into it. it. It takes a hard job and makes it not impossible, but as, as difficult as a coaching job as you're going to find. And 
he's battling and he's going to keep battling. We know that about Steven Glass. He's going to keep fighting to get this thing right. And I want to see what he can do with a full week of training and some rest for this team. I hope they look very different on Saturday against Miami. Yeah, we, I hate to say it, but Jurgen Dom, um, maybe, you know, who knows if he's going to miss any time, but typically with a hamstring, you don't rush people back. Um, yep. And that's and what happens. And it sounds like, it, it sounds like he's in Atlanta United's long-term plans because as they were saying last night on the broadcast, he's bought a house. I think they said he bought a house. Uh, his family's here. And they're, oh, yeah, your Dom was definitely part of the law. And, and he's expecting another baby, so you got to think they're not going to try to rush him back into games. And if, but if you don't have him uh, and you don't start Mulraney, then really, again, there's just not a lot of speed, so you can't counterattack. The team's had no success in, in building into the final third or into, within the final third uh, goal-creating opportunities with passing. I, I just – I don't know how Glass can put these pieces of this puzzle together other than borrow from the Nashville model and try to win on set pieces and then hunker down defensively. Yeah, and that's not going to happen. Right. That's not how. <laughs> then, then I think we're going to see go. a lot more of these type of results then. Or at least but, that, but, draws, but part of the problem with that, Doug, is whenever it got even slightly defensive under Frank DeBoer, people were losing their minds about it. Well, no chances, no chances. Okay. This team doesn't have the skill right now or the confidence, whatever the reason is going forward to, to create, you know, legitimate goal scoring chances. Um, it seems like until they fall behind and the other team relaxes a little bit and, and it decides to bunker. So people, people are going to, if you want points, I think this is the style they're going to have to play. We'll see. We'll see, because that was the major complaint even when you were winning uh, early last season. Um, what you got coming up this week? We got Overreaction Monday tomorrow morning. Sure, it'll be a doozy. Uh, 9 o'clock, soccerdownhere.net. You can listen on our app, which you can download for Android or iOS. Uh, you can watch on twitch.tv slash soccerdownhere. And I'll be on the call with John Nelson for the twos on Wednesday night on ESPN+. Plus. And who do they play on Wednesday night? Yeah, no, I don't even remember yet because I was supposed to have a game today that I was preparing for. I was not looking ahead to the twos yet. Uh, women's college game with Georgia State and Chattanooga, and that was postponed at the last minute. Um, looks like the too Tampa many Bay players. Rowdies on Wednesday. Thank you. I will start my preparation. Who I, I think, don't like to go too just, far ahead in my prep. Didn't they just lose to them like a, two games ago or something? You're playing everybody like multiple times right yeah, now in the USL because you're eliminating travel as much as you can. So uh, Tampa Bay is a really good veteran-laden team. It'll be a tough test. Two to one on August 22nd, Tampa Bay won that game. Yep. And then two to nothing on August 12th, Tampa Bay won that game. And then two to one on July 11th, Tampa Bay won that game. One of the top teams in the league. Yep. Yeah, that was one of my first youth soccer team names, I think. Or no, my, my third team was the Rowdies, I believe, playing in Mableton, Georgia, when I was like seven or eight years old, I believe, uh, which feels like a lifetime ago right now. Um, all right, man, stay safe. Keep up the good work. Y'all please follow Jason. Follow soccerdownhere.net. Follow Dirty South Soccer. 
Siempre United, uh, anybody who covers MLS, please follow them on Twitter um, at the very, very least. And to, to make this clear again, Eric Lopez is not joining the first team this year. I have to answer this question 50 times a week on Twitter. He's not joining the first team this year. And I think y'all are putting a whole lot of faith in a player, much like you have in the past with players who is going to need some time. Uh, so just relax, just chill, be patient. He's a young guy. Uh, whenever he does play for the senior team, we'll see how it goes. Uh, please follow me on Twitter at Doug Robertson AJC. Please follow me on Facebook at Atlanta United News Now. Please consider subscribing to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. We got college football in the paper now. Georgia Tech beating FSU uh, last night in a just a, another weird game whenever the Yellow Jackets go to Tallahassee. We got all that coverage from Ken Segura. The Falcons play today uh, at Mercedes-Benz. We'll have all that coverage. The Braves are mostly beating everybody. I think they lost last night. Um, we've got all that coverage, and the Hawks uh, will start at some point with the NBA. Um, we got all of that. Um, all right. This has been Southern Fried Soccer. Atlanta United, four to two losers to Nashville. The five stripes have won just one of their past nine, are in 10th place in the East. They'll play again next Saturday when they host Inter Miami at Mercedes Benz Stadium. Thank you. Y'all stay safe. In Atlanta, one voice has stood out for over four decades, an AJC original, The Monica Pearson Show. Let's talk about how you got to ESPN. Revealing interviews. You are known as America's doctor, but I want to know who you were before that. When you have a different name, you have different color skin, it can be tough. With Atlanta's most famous faces, as you've never seen them before. I'm telling my story. This is the American dream. The Monica Pearson Show, streaming now on AJC.com. The AJC's trusted veteran political voices, Greg Bluestein, Patricia Murphy, Tia Mitchell, and Bill Nygut are the essential source for Georgia politics. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution's Politically Georgia. Sign up for the newsletter, download the podcast, subscribe to the AJC.